Indomitable is an audio version of a written role play uh, collaborated between several different writers. Originally, this audio is recorded for the people who are joining the role play to participate in order to get them caught up, but anyone is welcome to listen. That said, it is an explicit rating, 18 or older, and there is going to be some triggering material later in some of the readings, so please... Uh, Listen at your own risk and feel free to pause at any point if something becomes too much. In the pure blackness, not a sound coming up from anything, Sai finally feels his body unwind, able to move. The gramophone once beside him is absent and the wall previously to his back is no longer there to be reached. The only assurance is the press of the floor under his feet. All else, entirely absent, further emphasizes the dead silence of not even everyone else's collective breathing remaining. He is alone, in an unending nothing. What does he do? What? He'd been so sure. No, it had all felt real. No, 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 fuck! He only knew one metahuman in his life who could pull off anything close to this, and even this was beyond her. His vessel pulled free, but no sooner had it done so than he instinctively faded into a wisp. It was the only way to get away from his chest twisting into a knot, teeth grinding, fist clenching, breath stealing terror, and he could run from it as long as he wanted to, like this. But where could he run? The darkness was absolute, tangible, oppressive. A moment of rage and hatred was found, but even that cooled too quickly, realizing how powerless he was right now. He should be patient, or he should try to claw at this place, try to figure out a way to break free from this. But that never worked with Mama, neither. Fuck you, he barked past teeth slipping back into physical form, barely able to hear anything for his own labored breathing. Rude, the voice responded, plain, deadpan, similar to before. Not really words or a voice, but the ideas of one, the concept of having heard something without the actual moment beforehand. Abruptly, the dark started to alleviate, not all at once, not instant, as if letting it slowly sink back into color and lines and reality would make it all any easier to digest. They weren't in the bar anymore. That sharp change remained, reminding Sai this was very much elsewhere. As the objects in proper shades for a remote corner of Central Park faded in, no other people did. Just a stone bridge a few feet away, the path they stood on snaking under it, a pond nearby void of ducks or frogs or anything else. A few feet pointedly more than arms reach away, the kid in the fox mask stood. No longer holding a sword, no longer accosted by Ray. They stood, facing Sylvester, and rose both hands to wave at him, not in greeting, but the way one might disperse smoke. It's not the lady, relax. Didn't know you had a hitch on mental shit. Oops. Kansu had no small amount of awe and wonder at the audacity of this thing. Exactly what reality did this individual subscribe to where he was supposed to be copacetic with any of this? More annoying was that he seemed to know why he was so bothered, which raised even more questions. Of a simile of Central Park slowly unfolded into existence, devoid of life. The irony wasn't lost on him, an illusion of a purely man-made park amidst miles of metal, concrete, and pavement. Utterly fake. The hell do you want? Kansu's words had a tinge of acid to them, warning. He never had responded well to manipulation. He regarded him, coolly, disdainfully, boredly. It was hard to tell with the mask. But it stared his way, tucking hands into the pockets of its hoodie and rocking back on its heels idly. Mostly to make sure you don't actually lose your mind. 
Technically, I should just dump you in the deep end, but I don't think you could hack it like the others. So you get a big vapey disclaimer. That seething blackness roiled in his core again, thick enough it made him nauseous. He thought the situation had been familiar because of the hiding, the people who weren't quite sane running around with powers, the kids always being pulled into it, but he couldn't tell if any of what he saw was real now. Everything had to be looked at again through the lens of his fallible memory. I know, so this thing was interested in his mental well-being now? Motherfucker. I don't want your false sympathy or bullshit quips. Now tell me the truth. I don't give a shit about the others. What do you want with me? That entirely sincere. They were growing on him. But he couldn't maneuver very far if he didn't know what motivated it. What a pain. I've been warned this one would be tricky, but this... Why did he always get stuck with the annoying jobs? The thing sighed. For the first time, it wasn't a noise sigh processed as remembering hearing, but actually did. It grated, rasped, hitched and drug wrong in the throat. Around them, the park grew, slow but sure, a wildness taking root, untamed edges and spindles of thorns weaving out from bushes lining the path, growing long, sharp, encroaching on the stone-lined median upon which they stood. In lieu of speaking, the figure shrugged. From somewhere down the path, down past Fox Mask, down past Sai, screams lit up. Netta, scared and pain. Pierce, choked and brief and agonized. Ray, enraged and scared and howling. The illusion shifted, the world dragged into a deeper wilderness, surreal to see the worst backwoods pulling itself over the human construction. The undergrowth was fine. The haggard exhalation that clawed itself out of the creature, however, set Sally's teeth to gritting again, planting his feet a little less. After that followed the screams. If it was an illusion, it was a convincing one. Fuck you, he inhaled, breath catching slightly. Kansu's face twisted under the mask. I won't... He lost the words, stumbling over his thoughts as another one of Ray's howls pushed an octave higher. He charged the figure, briefly taking on a wispy form to close the distance in a single hop. The figure had been careful of its spacing. Would it bleed? Kansu had yanked the knife free from its sheath as he landed, seeking to drive it down into the thing's skull. No more thought given to talking to this thing. He couldn't cope. One might assume the natural, that Kansu would find home in smoke or butterflies or otherwise illusion, and that there would be nothing but a weighty physical heft met his advance, and the undeniable crack of steel on bone prefaced for a heartbeat before the force of his knife cleaved easily through the top plate of bone, of skull, out into gray matter and the soft flesh of brain. There was seizing, final firings of nerves and neurons, a running of blood that mostly remained unseen for a time before things tipped, collapsed back with the force of size advance and blow. As it did, red string unwound, the mask pulled free. As the body collapsed into the street, blood coursed down an unhealthily pale face. Red eyes were open wide, not afraid, not panicked, startled, perhaps, pained, maybe. Blood ran in rivers through white hair over that snowy skin, painting the face of the child as it went still on the ground beneath Sylvester. Far in every distance and at different directions, the screams of safeguard continued. Kansu shook his head, which only intensified the ringing in his ears. When had that started? And he'd been yanked into the illusion? Or before all this? Before he'd escaped the Ascended? Had it ever stopped? Long before safeguard... Mama had gotten in his head, and when he'd run, it had taken him more than a week in Raymond's care to be able to function, to breathe, move, eat, shit, to comprehend that the walls weren't peeling away to reveal ever more horrifying vistas, that the alien sounds beating in his ears wouldn't last forever, 
at the mattress he'd been laying upon wasn't festooned, maggots carving their way deeper into his face every time he nodded off. By simple comparison, this should have been easier. He revisited it enough that even the sharp memories could no longer cut, the edges all worn off. It had been a long time since anything had reminded him of the mall incident. The sudden violent pounding on the doors, balance swayed out of his control slightly and he replanted his feet, idly realizing he'd not been breathing. Kansu focused on that now, staring down at the body. The howl of their voices slowly intensified in his ears and he shook his head again. Had the screaming ever stopped? It bothered him that he had to search the child's face so long before he remembered her. One of the first to come tumbling out, nose smashed in from the push handle on the door, light gone out of her eyes in a very similar way, almost identical. The screams. He needed to run. It had been pushing at him this entire time, trying to dislodge him like a derelict ship stuck on debris. Numb, he left the corpse behind. Dissolving and becoming lesser, he moved faster, chasing the sound of Raymond's howl. The man had served as an anchor in the past. Saika realized that he wasn't going to last long in here, not on his own. Central Park had never been this big. The trees this unending, the crop-ups of rock this massive, the water features so winding and without fountains or creatures. Sai fled and behind him the pathway fell away. Looking back, what lay behind him was the same as what waited ahead. No ray, no screams anymore either. Just boundless, unhindered nature. Forestry, washing rivers, spiring mountains. Wild and wilder still, spanning unseeable in all directions with hills and valleys and sigh among it all, soaring, fluttering, incorporeal, unbound on a land of sprawling nothing. The screams fell away, and with that he'd lost his bearings. Once or twice he'd done the same trick as back in the bar, catching his corporeal toe on a branch at the top of a tree. He stopped and let himself listen for a time before the anxiety became too much to bear and he moved on. After a while, he didn't stop anymore. Soaring. None of it felt bad, but none of it felt good anymore. Not after he'd began to understand what his power had been trying to tell him. In his best moments, he could be defiant, but now he surrendered to it. He would run as long as he had to. Endless. Endless. It was peaceful here. A little too quiet, one might argue. But there were no pain to panic screams. No glossy, lifeless eyes. No smells of smoke, no swollen flesh, no burrows within burrows of maggots inside flesh. The wildlands never seemed to end. The horizon framed a perpetual sunset, always just about to dip away. Or maybe it was a sunrise. Hard to tell, but also hard to care. There were no birds and no deer and barely any clouds. But there were brooks and caves and rolling earth, a forever unfolding expanse. Fast or slow, north or south, physical or shadow, Sai could run forever in here. Time never moved. Nothing ever changed. Not for a minute, an hour, a year, an age, an eon, an eternity. For a long time, he flew on instinct, knowing what he did was right, to place more distance between the objects behind him and to search for the others. But he wasn't searching for the others anymore. After a while... They were fleeting and forgotten. Observing the passing wilderness, he was reminded of primordial man. He wasn't Darwinist, nothing like that, but it was simpler. Monsters and psychopaths gravitated towards predation because they had originally been predators. They had to hunt, to be brutal and cruel. In order to survive, violence had been what made us or broke us in the beginning. 
It made more sense now. Why the many turned to apathy as the norm, or at best, minor good deeds. Why the few turned to violence as their ancestors once had. It drove them, just like it now drives the basest and most monstrous of his kind. All that time and distance, and they'd barely moved a step past the Stone Age in any field but technology. He'd found his way to another precipice. Gonsu could do good deeds for years, waiting and hoping for a reward or a realization. Perhaps for his guilt to gently pass, or that his self-loathing would, in time, carve away the parts he couldn't live with. But even when none occurred, he would continue doing what he'd been doing, without thought or imagination. He stopped nowhere in particular, atop a rocky outcropping somewhere in a valley now where he could only barely see the fingers of light the sun stretched over a mountain. A realization crept over Sylvester, and it had been a long time coming. An answer to a question he didn't remember asking. In this, he almost felt like he was evolving as an individual, moment to moment. He could experiment. This place seemed airless, yet there he was. A part of it. Alive. Standing, watching, viewing, all there was to see, as real as anything. But what was real? Senses? Perception? Especially so, what could be said as being real to him? He'd seen in clumsy rakes past the veil before. Almost, sort of. Enough that now this, the sliver of the truth, was bound to seem like counterfeit. How was there to breach that? To define it? To establish something as same but different when it all came in the same colors, smells, textures? If it was a moment or a minute or years that he stood there and digested the newness in his head, it all passed the same. Or did it pass at all? Eventually, perhaps inevitably, something had to give way. And it did, in a sense. Things changed only when he was ready to move, to shift, to turn. The world around him was not the same between the blink of an eye. In one breath, the unending forestry spread out in all directions, vast and both unknowable yet known. The next, he was back where he'd started. Central Park. Not overgrown, but plain. Empty. Quiet but built with the structures of man and civilization, skyscrapers far in the distance and that same walkway underfoot. And there, feet away from him as it had been last, not the child, but the body, left, pooled in blood and lifelessly still as he'd left it. Sai so couldn't see all the hidden turnings of the world. That was what made them special, the seeking, the finding. He hadn't understood until now what a special time it was to be alive. Nothing was granted, nothing was free, and nothing was forbidden. It soothed him in a strange way, even as he looked upon the body. Demarcation point for a boundary crossed. It pulled very different emotions from him now. Without hesitation, he knelt down in the pool, taking the time to look a bit closer now. Call them as they were, but it cost nothing to be polite. The mask was picked up, blood smoothed away in his hands and steady strokes against his own arm. The eyes were vivid and violent, the face he unfortunately could do nothing for. Blood streaked on flesh too easily like canvas, and he lacked the methods to reverse it. He took the time to straighten out the oversized clothes, pull the hood level with the ground, even soaked as it was. The fox's face was the final touch, replacing it where it belonged. No regret or shame now, but perhaps a measured respect, belated even as it was. He'd prefer the same treatment if the tables returned. 
A breeze arrived, brushing by soft and subtle, pulling at Sylvester's clothes, hair against his skin in gentle passing. It was the first sign of life in this place. The dry dancing of leaves on the cement pathway clicked and pattered around him. Somewhere in the distance, birds chirped into half a song. There was conversation, far away but distantly heard. The idle sounds of the city, though at a distance. A hand laid on Sai's shoulder. Not harsh, but not so ginger as to be easy to ignore. It didn't coax him in any physical sense, but there was a beckoning there, felt in the way so many unspoken things often were. Beside him, just out of his way, a broad-shouldered man with tanned skin and strikingly snowy hair reached out to him. He was... alien. Strange. Dark sclera eyes with neon cyan irises, pointed ears and an unnerving height, white beige markings across his face and patterns of suns and lines. He wore heavy, thick clothes, slacks and boots, and a fur-lined bomber jacket. He stared with a flat expression, but there was a sense of something radiating off him, something warm, something filling, like a hot drink on a winter morning or the scent of firewood smoke in clear summer air. Sylvester Alcott, he addressed, voice a low, bassy roll. It's time to go. As he let go and moved a step away to give Cy room, the body once before them both was gone. The blood and its heavy scent absent. The only proof it was ever there at all now remained as a single, soundless, golden bell resting in Sai's hand where once a mask had been held and replaced so carefully. It was unknown even to Sai how long he might have stayed there, to observe this metamorphosis. He'd come to enjoy this world for its quiet. He could have an appreciation for how easily it was to avoid being entangled in the lives of others. In solitude, there was healing. In the absence of noise, he had found the answer. A touch at his shoulder, and the world slowly began to churn and spin, gaining momentum again. He stood easily, turning to the deliberate foreigner. Time to go. Yes, I supposed it was. In this pleasant harbor, his ship was safe, but that wasn't what he was meant for. A smirk pulled at the edges of his face, amused by this tall bear of a man. The bell rolled in his hand, grasped between thumb and forefinger. The curiosity momentarily distracted him from the gentleman, its presence warmed his heart and caused hairs to stand on end. He'd hold on to it for now, until he found the right place for it. Yes, he finally said. His voice came out unusually calm when he might otherwise burst with anticipation. What comes next? He was ready. Told you so. Yes, well, I'm happy you were right. Fox, are you... Where did he go? We'll sort it later. Who had the call for this one? Coyote, but... Um... Oh, Bear, you want this one? Well then, Coyote... No objections! Have at him, kid! I suppose that settles that, then. <laughs>